What an awesome thing to be able to celebrate together. And uh, I'm also celebrating, we are in week number six of this series, Jesus Unfiltered. I can't believe it's been six weeks already. And what we've been doing is every week just following Jesus through the gospel of Mark, every week just kind of looking at the next chunk of scripture, the next part of the story, and just kind of uh, asking what does that mean for our lives and, and what does that mean for us? And so uh, I'm, a, I'm a little bit of an art nerd. Uh, some of you know that. I'm obsessed with Bob Ross and some of you know, but. Uh, I also love some classical painters as well. And if I could just nerd out for just a second here and you could all show me some grace. Uh, one of my favorite painters is Rembrandt. And Rembrandt was a Dutch painter, lived in the 1600s. And uh, what he's kind of known for is he painted scenes from the gospel stories that we're looking at today. And so every time we're kind of reading through these stories, I'm thinking about some of these paintings. And so uh, he's kind of known for painting scenes from the life of Christ and scenes in the gospel stories. And so this is actually a painting from the story that we're going to look at today. And Mark chapter 4 is where we're at. And so this painting is called Christ in the Storm on the Lake of Galilee. And it's kind of dark. I know it's it maybe hard for you to see a little bit, but you've got Jesus down here at the bottom of the boat, and then you've got his 12 disciples with him. Um, I want to draw your attention if I could. I'm going to see if this works here. This, they gave me a laser pointer. This guy right here. Notice there's one character who's looking out at you from the boat. He's got an artist cap on. That's what that is. And he's holding onto the rigging. That's Rembrandt. The guy literally painted himself into the picture. That's what he did. Now, he never admitted to doing this, but, but he painted several different self-portraits of himself so we know what he looked like. And he kind of puts the artist cap on there just to make sure you know it. That's him. And he did this in a number of different paintings from the life of Jesus. He paints himself into the picture. And what he's saying by doing that is, uh, I see myself in this story. I see myself in the boat with the disciples. I see myself as one of the people scared to death in the midst of the storm on the Lake of Galilee. And that's what he's communicating. That's what he's trying to say. And I think he got it right. I think he understood exactly why these stories are in the Gospels. I think we're supposed to read these stories that we've been reading together. And I think we're supposed to not just see them as, you know, a story about some guys who lived a long time ago in this ancient time in this ancient place. I think we're supposed to look at these stories and we're supposed to see ourselves in them. And so I want to challenge you this morning as we enter into the this, this story in Mark 4 and Mark 5 that we're looking at, not to just kind of think about, oh, this is a great story or, or read along and just think, oh, this is a great story about somebody else, but to say, where am I? Where am I in this story? Where do I see myself? Where do I do that? Where do I respond that way? Because when we do that, oftentimes that's the way that Jesus begins to speak to us through the Holy Spirit is when we begin to see ourselves in the stories. And so in that spirit, let's jump in. This is Mark 4, starting in verse 35. Our story begins this way. It says, as evening came, Jesus said to his disciples, let's cross to the other side of the lake. Now, this is a significant moment because if you've been following along with us, you know that Jesus basically, up to this point in the story, has basically camped out and stayed. His home base has been like on the northwest side of the Sea of Galilee. So there's a town there called Capernaum that became kind of home base for Jesus during his ministry. And so until this point in the story, there's this ministry happening. People are coming from all around. Now people are just coming from everywhere. And Jesus is preaching to them and he's healing them and all these great things are happening. But he has stayed with his disciples right on the northwest side of the Sea of Galilee. And so this is the first moment Jesus says, let's go somewhere. 
And so he puts them on the boat and he's going to go now to the other side of the lake. It's like he's going to take them on a short-term missions trip. Here we go. And he takes them to the other side of the lake. So in the spirit of asking where do we see ourselves in the story and seeing ourselves in the, in the text, uh, just to ask the question this morning, go ahead, guys. Where is your other side of the lake? Where is that for you? What is your other side of the lake? It could be the other side of the lake for you is a group of people that you're unfamiliar with. And frankly, they scare you a little bit. Uh, Maybe the other side of the lake for you is a job opportunity or a ministry opportunity. Or maybe you're new here in town, new to Grand Rapids, and so this feels like the other side of the lake to you. Maybe you're here today visiting a church because you're new in town and you're trying to figure things out, and this, it feels very much like you're on the other side of the lake. Or, or maybe for some of you, maybe you're being pushed to the other side of the lake kind of without your permission. Not because you want to, Maybe a diagnosis has happened in your life, and so now you're finding yourself in environments and in places and trying to figure out, why, why am I being sent over here to the other side of the lake? The other side of the lake is just anywhere in our lives where we feel exposed, vulnerable, weak, scared, out of control. That's, that's the other side of the lake. For the disciples, when Jesus says, let's go to the other side of the lake, that was a very specific place. So if you could go ahead to that that map, they start out in Capernaum and they're going to go across the Lake of Galilee to this area that's called in the text, the region of the Gerasenes. Now, ancient historians call this area the Decapolis. Decapolis means 10 cities. And so very literally, there were these 10 cities over here uh, that actually were established by many, and many people believe they were established by Alexander the Great during his Greek conquest. So there are these 10 cities along this trade route that are very pagan. They're very Greek. They're very Roman. And so you've got this area with these 10 cities that are surrounded by this otherwise Jewish place. Now, if you're a Jewish person who lives on the northwest side of Galilee, you stay away from the region of the Gerasenes. Those people are scary. You, you know, what happens over there is scary. That's a totally different place with different beliefs. It's pagan uh, you know, land. All these different gods are worshipped. You stayed away from these people. They were Gentiles and, they, and that was scary. And that's the other side of the lake. And Jesus says, hey guys, I want to take you there. I want to go right to this area that you kind of view and that, that we kind of think of as being evil in our world. It's scary and it's evil. And so that's what they do. They get on the boat and they start across the lake. Let's keep going uh, in the story. So they took Jesus in the boat and started out, leaving the crowds behind, although other boats followed. But soon a fierce storm came up. High waves were breaking into the boat and it began to fill with water. Jesus was sleeping at the back of the boat with his head on a cushion. The disciples woke him up shouting, "'Teacher, don't you care that we're going to drown?' When Jesus woke up, he rebuked the wind and said to the waves, silence, be still. Suddenly the wind stopped and there was a great calm. Then he asked them, why are you so afraid? Do you still have no faith? The disciples were absolutely what? Terrified. The disciples are absolutely terrified. Who is this man? They asked each other. Even the wind and the waves obey him. Now, what jumps out at me right away in this story is how afraid the disciples are in this moment of Jesus. 
In fact, in the original language, if you read this, uh, it says that they were afraid of the storm. But then when, it's, when Jesus calms the storm, it's like the language goes to the next level. And it's like they were absolutely terrified. They were scared to death of Jesus. Why? They'd seen him do miracles before. They'd seen his supernatural power before. They'd seen him heal people. They'd seen him do. Why in the world are they so terrified in this moment of Jesus? Like, who is this man? How does he, even the wind and the waves obey him? In order to understand what, what was happening here in this moment and why they're so terrified, you have to understand something that all first century people believed. It was kind of a superstitious belief they had about the depths of the sea. And they would have believed this about the Lake of Galilee or the Mediterranean Sea or the ocean. What they believed is that the depths of the sea was this mysterious place. No one had really gone down under there at that time in history. And so they didn't really know what was down there. And they called it the abyss. The, the way the people in the first century talked about uh, this, the depths of the sea was they called it the abyss. And they believed it was a place where evil spirits dwelt. And so in their minds, again, it's kind of a superstitious belief, but you know, if you're crossing the Lake of Galilee and a storm blew up, and by the way, even to this day, there are signs at the Sea of Galilee right along the beach that say, be careful because storms can just blow up quickly without any warning. And so if you're on this lake and the storm blows up out of nowhere and ships would go down and be taken down to the depths of the sea, to the abyss, well, what, what in the explanation in their minds was, well, there must have been evil spirits that caused that storm and caused that. And so what's happening in this moment is we're crossing the other side of the lake. Jesus has taken us over to this evil place, the region of the Gerasenes, and now this scary evil storm blows up basically to try to stop us. That's what they're thinking, and so when Jesus rebukes the wind and the waves and when he calms the storm, in their minds, if you think about the Old Testament, the only God that ever claimed authority over the sea was Yahweh. Think about the story of the Israelites, right, at the Red Sea, the Red Sea parts, and they walk through the abyss. They walk through the midst of the depths of the sea on dry ground. And so in their minds, Yahweh is the only one who has that kind of power. So when Jesus calms this storm, they're like, are you kidding me? Even evil has to submit to this guy? Who is this man? They're just absolutely terrified of what this means and who Jesus is. What's amazing to me about this part of the story is it's like the disciples still don't know who Jesus is. Right? We're to Mark chapter four, and they're still trying to figure out like, who is this guy? And I would say that's not unlike a lot of us. Even if you've grown up in church, even if you've been around the things of God, for many of us, we're still trying to figure out who is Jesus? Who is he? Who is this man? The story continues. If, if their minds were blown by what just happened, what's about to happen next in the story would have just taken it to the next level. Jesus' authority over evil is just confirmed in an even more dramatic way. This is chapter five. It says, so they arrived at the other side of the lake in the region of the Gerasenes. So they make their way there. When Jesus climbed out of the boat, a man possessed by an evil spirit came out from the tombs to meet him. This man lived in the burial caves and could no longer be restrained, even with a chain. Whenever he was put into chains and shackles, as he often was, he snapped the chains from his wrists and smashed the shackles. No one was strong enough to subdue him. Day and night, he wandered among the burial caves and in the hills, howling and cutting himself with sharp stones." 
When Jesus was still some distance away, the man saw him, ran to meet him, and bowed low before him. With a shriek, he screamed, why are you interfering with me, Jesus, son of the most high God? In the name of God, I beg you, don't torture me. For Jesus had already said to the spirit, come out of the man, you evil spirit. Then Jesus demanded, what is your name? And he replied, my name is Legion, because there are many of us inside this man. Then the evil spirits begged him again and again not to send them to some distant place. Now there happened to be a large herd of pigs feeding on the hillside nearby. Send us into those pigs, the spirits begged. Let us enter them. So Jesus gave them permission. The evil spirits came out of the man and entered the pigs and the entire herd of about 2,000 pigs plunged down the steep hillside into the lake and drowned in the water. This is this crazy, dramatic story. Sometimes you have to just stop and just acknowledge the weirdness of what we just read. You know what I mean? It's one of those moments you're just like, what a crazy story, right? I mean, literally, they just come through this storm over the abyss, this evil thing that Jesus calms. And as soon as they land at the region of the Gerasenes, it's like their worst fears are confirmed for the disciples. This demon-possessed man runs up to Jesus and bows down. And the crazy thing about it is the demons inside this, this man know exactly who Jesus is. Right? Like the disciples are all sitting there like, like, who is it? They're still trying to figure out who is this Jesus? What is he doing? If you notice in the story, the demons are not confused at all. They know exactly who Jesus is. They see him as soon as he steps off that boat and they know who he is and they're terrified of him. Jesus has authority over this man's life and the demons know they don't have authority over his life. And so they begin to beg and plead with Jesus, send us, don't send us away into some distant place. Please don't do that. Uh, I've read this story for years and years. There's something about this story that has always bothered me a little bit. And if you've grown up or if you've read this story multiple times, maybe you've caught it too or it's bothered you. The thing that's always bothered me about this story is in this moment, it seems like Jesus kind of, it's like he kind of gives into their request. Has anybody else noticed that? It's like when the demons are like, oh, please don't, they're begging, please don't send us away to some faraway place. It almost seems like Jesus kind of goes, well, okay, all right. You can go into these pigs. You can ruin the bacon, that's fine, go ahead. But, but here's the thing I noticed as, we, as I was studying this passage this week that's just so profound to me. What did the pigs do as soon as the demons go into them? They drown themselves in the lake, which again, for a first century person, the lake was the abyss. Do you get what Jesus just did? They begged him, please don't send us. And he sends them into the pigs. The pigs go straight to the abyss. In a sense, you could say Jesus sends these demons back to the abyss. <laughs> if, you're, if you're the disciple sitting here in this moment, your mind is blown. Who is this guy? How does he have this kind of authority and this kind of power over evil? How in the world is, is he able to do, the, do this? In fact, that is the question that Mark wants us to ask. At this point in the story, it's the question the disciples are asking. And that's the question Mark is inviting us to ask. It's why these stories are here. It is, is we're supposed to be asking this question, how in the world is Jesus able to do this? How does he have this kind of authority over evil, over darkness? Whether it be darkness in a human heart, like this man possessed by demons, whether it be the darkness and the evil of our world, the cosmos, how does he have this kind of authority? 
over evil? Well, the truth of the matter is we actually don't have the answer to that at this point in the story. We're supposed to ask that question. We're wondering alongside the disciples, like how in the world is Jesus able to do that? But at this point in the story, we're not given the answer to that question. So uh, I'm gonna cheat. We're gonna fast forward to the end of the story because it's actually at the end of Jesus' life when we finally get the answer to this question. I'm the kind of person where if I buy a novel, the very first thing I do is I turn to the very last page of the novel and I read the last paragraph. Anybody else a weirdo like me and do that? Yeah, so I know exactly what's gonna happen to Harry Potter. It's just all about trying to figure out how are the characters gonna get there. That's what I'm paying attention to. So we're gonna fast forward a little bit to the end of the story here because the question we're asking is how is Jesus able to do this? We only get the answer at the end of his life. The, the reason Jesus is able to calm the storm over the abyss in the Lake of Galilee is because at the end of Jesus' life, Jesus faces the ultimate storm of condemnation for sin and guilt that was heaped upon him on the cross on our behalf. And he faced the ultimate storm for us. The reason he can rescue the disciples in the midst of the storm is because the only storm that could ever really threaten us, Jesus is gonna face on our behalf and overcome it. The reason Jesus can heal the demon-possessed man the reason Jesus has authority over his life and the demons can't claim authority over his life and they know it is because of what happens at the end of the story. At the end of the story, Jesus is forced outside the city walls, just like this guy was. Jesus is chained. Jesus is whipped. Jesus is tortured. And he takes the place of this man. The reason Jesus could have authority over evil like that is because he took the place of the disciples. He took the place of the man possessed by the legion of demons and he paid the price on the cross. And therefore he's the one who has authority. See, that's why these stories are in here. Like Rembrandt, we're supposed to look at these stories and we're supposed to see ourselves in them. We're supposed to see ourselves in the disciples in the midst of the storm. We're supposed to see ourselves in the man who's possessed by the legion of demons. Can, can I do one more painting? Can I just nerd out? Can you just humor me for just a minute? Here's one more Rembrandt painting. This painting is called The Raising of the Cross. And if you can see this character right here overseeing it all, uh, again, with the artist's cap on, looking straight out of the painting at you, it's, it's Rembrandt. And what, he, what he's saying is, I was there too. I held the nails. It, it was my sin that he paid the price for, me personally. This is my story too. That's the point. When we read these stories, these stories are not in the gospel so that we will know that evil exists and it's really scary. We already know evil exists, don't we? All you have to do is open your news app on your phone for just a few minutes and you're gonna know evil exists in our world. These stories are not here so we'll know evil will exist. These stories are in the, the gospel so we will know that evil has been overcome. And therefore, the other side of the lake has no hold on me. The point of these stories is that in Jesus, go ahead guys, if you could to the next slide. In Jesus is power and dominion over evil. 
in Jesus is power and dominion over any kind of evil that presents itself in our world. Therefore, there is no storm that we face that cannot be calmed by him. There is no disease, no addiction, no oppression that, that cannot and will not be ultimately healed by Jesus. The other side of the lake has no hold on me. So evil doesn't get to decide how we respond. That's the lie of the enemy. <laughs> that evil has a greater hold on you than it really has. Evil doesn't get to respond, how, to get, evil doesn't get to decide how I respond to what happens in our world, what happens in our families. If we know Jesus, evil does not get the last word. And so we're gonna face evil. You're gonna face evil in our world. You will, if you, if you haven't yet, wait for it, it'll happen. You just haven't lived long enough yet. These families up here dedicating their children, both services, they're gonna do everything they can to expose their children to Jesus and to give them every good influence. But their kids, all of our kids at some point are going to be exposed to evil where they're gonna be exposed to darkness. It's part of the condition of our world. These stories aren't here so that we'll be afraid and know that they're, they're there so that we know there is one we can put our faith in and put our trust in and he's overcome it all on our behalf. And therefore, we have victory in him. Not in ourselves. We, we have victory in him. Evil doesn't get to decide how we respond. Now, let me tell you how the Hollywood ending of this story would go. Okay, if Hollywood was writing the ending to this story we've just been reading, what would happen at the end is Jesus would help his new disciple, this guy who was uh, you know, uh, filled with the legion of demons and now is free, he would help him into his boat and the two of them would sail off there. The music would swell. It would be this beautiful moment. And Jesus would take this guy back to the northwest side of the Sea of Galilee where everything would be safe and everything would be happy in his life. And that would be the Hollywood ending. That's the ending that we kind of long for. It'd win an Oscar tonight. You know, it'd be great. That's not what happens at all in this story. Take a look at how the story actually ends. The herdsmen fled to the nearby town and the surrounding countryside, spreading the news as they ran. They're the herdsmen who lost the 2,000 pigs. It's a lot of wasted bacon. People rushed out to see what had happened. A crowd soon gathered around Jesus and they saw the man who had been possessed by the legion of demons. He was sitting there fully clothed and perfectly sane, and they were all afraid. Again, they're, they're afraid. Then those who had seen what happened told the others about the demon-possessed man and the pigs. And the crowd began pleading with Jesus to go away and leave them alone. As Jesus was getting into the boat, the man who had been demon-possessed begged to go with him. But Jesus said, no, go home to your family, and tell them everything the Lord has done for you and how merciful he has been. So the man started off to visit the 10 towns of that region and began to proclaim the great things Jesus had done for him. And everyone was amazed at what he told them. So the story doesn't end the way we kind of wish it would. Jesus has no interest in rescuing his new disciple from the scary, evil place of the, the Gerasenes, of the 10 cities. He says to him, no, you don't get to come back with me. He says, you go back to your family. And the guy's like, no, I don't wanna go back to, into this area where I got demon possessed and where everybody knows my junk and they know how messed up I was. And I don't wanna go put myself back in that position again. And Jesus is like, no, you go back to your family, go back to the other places and tell 
what God did for you because now this man is gonna go into this region that Jesus is not welcome in and he's gonna be the most dangerous man in this region. He's gonna be the most dangerous man against evil because now he has a story. He's got a story now. I used to be this. And this is what happened in my life. This is where my story intersected Jesus. And now this is what I'm becoming. That's the most dangerous person to the kingdom of evil that exists as a person with a story. I'm gonna cheat one more time. I'm gonna fast forward you one more time a little bit in the story. We're in Mark chapter five right now. If you fast forward two chapters to Mark chapter seven, starting in verse like 31 and on, what happens is Jesus in Mark 7 comes back to this area, the region of the Gerasenes again. But this time when he steps off the boat in the region of the Gerasenes, huge crowds of people come from everywhere. They know who he is and they want to be healed. The reason that happens is because this man went back on the other side of the lake with his story and his story was effective he began to share what, what had happened to him. He began to share what Jesus had done for him. When you have a story of what Jesus has done in your life, you're the most dangerous person in the world to the kingdom of evil. But when you, you have a story of what Jesus has done in your life, you have dominion and power over evil and you can move toward the places of evil in our world. When you have a story of what Jesus has done in your life, you can move toward the places in our world that are so evil and so broken, you can move toward the foster system, the kids in the foster system, who if somebody doesn't intersect their life with a story of what Jesus can do in the hope, they statistically speaking, they will be the people that eventually fill up our jails and our prisons. When you have a story of what Jesus has done for you, you can move toward human trafficking, poverty, you can move toward injustice, you can move toward racism in our world, and you can confront it head on, not with your own authority, but with the authority of what Jesus has done in your life. Jesus has no interest in keeping us safe on the northwest side of the Sea of Galilee. He wants to send us to the other side of the lake. He invites us to go to the other side of the lake. He doesn't sit back and hope evil doesn't find him. He goes looking for it. So I wanna ask you the same question we asked when we started this. Where's your other side of the lake? Where's your other side of the lake? If you have a story of what Jesus did for you and what he's doing in your life, where is he sending you? Uh, for me, the, the times in my life where I, I kind of become aware that I'm in an other side of the lake moment in my life is whenever I'm talking with somebody who's going through a similar thing that I've gone through in my life and that Jesus has intersected my story and helped me with. Those are moments where I know I'm supposed to share my story. I'm supposed to share about what Jesus did for me. Sometimes it'll be like I'm talking to another pastor uh, who's going through a really dark time and I know I'll have this awareness, like this is an other side of the lake moment. I'll know I'm supposed to share my story of how Jesus intersected me in some of my darkest moments as a pastor. Sometimes it's when I meet a cancer patient who's walking through a diagnosis and I'll know this is another side of the lake moment. This is a moment where I'm supposed to share how Jesus intersected my story with my cancer diagnosis. Maybe it's, sometimes it's, it's I'll be talking with a sexually broken person 
But as uncomfortable as it is, and as much as I don't wanna talk about it, I'll know this is a moment where I'm supposed to talk about how Jesus intersected my story in the midst of my own sexual brokenness. And he healed me and gave me a new life and, and did a work in my marriage that I never thought was even possible. Sometimes it's a parent of a special needs child. Whatever it is, there are these other side of the lake moments. And here, here's what I've come to realize. The story, my story is the most powerful thing I have to share of what Jesus did in my life. And, and here's what I've come to believe. If Jesus has forgiven me for it, it doesn't belong to me anymore. I don't have a right to hold on to it. I don't have a right to lay claim to it, to hide it. If Jesus has forgiven me of it, it belongs to him now. It's been nailed to the cross and I bear it no more. It is his for his glory. In the stories of where he's healed me, stories of where he's met me in my life and points where I was in despair or hopelessness, those moments don't belong to me anymore. They are his. I don't get to lay claim to those. I don't have a right to keep those to myself. They're for him. They're for his glory. I don't talk about that stuff up here in front of you guys because it's really fun and really comfortable for me to do it because those things belong to him and I am never more free than when I share them, than when I let him do what he wants with, with my broken parts of my story. Jesus wants to do that in your life. Wherever he has intersected your life, wherever he has brought healing, wherever he has brought forgiveness, he wants to use you he wants to send you to the other side of the lake. What does that mean for you? For some of you, maybe that means educating yourself about whatever it is you know that God is asking you to step into. Maybe that's the next step. For some of you, maybe the next, you already know what you're supposed to do. And maybe for you, the next step is say yes before how. Just take the next faithful step. Even if you don't know where the money's gonna come from, even if you don't know where uh, the opportunity is gonna happen, just say yes to the next thing standing right in front of you. For others of you in this room, you don't have a story yet of what Jesus has done in your life. I've got some stuff I'd love to share with you. <laughs> the point of these stories is that we look in and we see ourselves and we realize if he could do it for them, if he could do it, he could do it for us. He could do it for me. He could do it for you. Put your faith and your trust in the person of Jesus. He took your place on the cross. So your story is his when you give your life to him. And what he can do with it is far greater than what you could ever do with it. So I wanna pray over us right now. I wanna, I wanna end by just taking a second and just praying over us because I believe there are places in this room even where we're seeing ourselves in the story and we know Jesus didn't heal you and redeem you just so you could stay on the Northwest side of the Sea of Galilee. He wants to send you to the other side of the lake. And um, before we pray, I wanna invite uh, the ushers to come forward. We're gonna um, receive this morning's offering. And uh, even this morning, during this part of the service, there was a team of people meeting uh, during first service about the next Ethiopia trip, going to Ukra. There's a team of people planning to go to the other side of the lake in that part of our world. There's teams that are planning to, to move into our communities and into our world. Understanding what it means to be the church and to have a story of what Jesus does. And so thanks for being on mission with us. There, there are four ways to give here this morning. You can see them up on the screen behind me. Um, 
And so if you're giving an offering, you can um, do it through one of those four ways. But if I could, if we could just bow for a second and offer a prayer before we, before we respond in worship and giving. Lord Jesus, this morning we see ourselves in the storms of life. We see ourselves with the disciples in the boat, terrified. We see ourselves struggling through oppression, addiction, disease, illness. And so we just come to you knowing that you are mighty and you are powerful and you have dominion over every evil thing in our world. And so Jesus, would you redeem us? Would you heal us as we turn to you, as we confess you as Lord, as we allow you to take our place for our sin? Uh, would you call us and send us to the other side of the lake? Would you give us what we need through the story that you've done in our own lives? Not through some power we've got of ourselves, but just with our own story, God, show us where you want to send us. And I pray that you would just set your church in motion, Lord, to be a light into dark places in our world, places where people have given up, places where evil reigns, places where people feel like there isn't any thing that could ever be different than their situation right now. Would you send us as your church into those places? And would you be glorified in all that happens? Jesus, we ask this in your powerful and risen name. And everybody said, amen. And would you stand with us as we worship and give?